This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, get them ready, turn to the book of Ephesians this morning, if you would. Uh, Ephesians chapter number two. We wrapped up our series entitled Hope from the Psalms. It was our online exclusive series that we did uh, during our short break that we had away. We're kicking off a brand new mini-series today entitled Better Together. Uh, We'll probably have the next four to five weeks of show taking a look at the local church and why that's such a big deal to us. And then after that, we're going to get into the book of Ephesians. We're going to go through the book of Ephesians verse by verse. I'm really excited about that. And so that's kind of where we're, we're headed with this. Uh, we're in phase one here. We're basically doing everything on Sunday morning. Uh, Wednesday night, uh, we'll be uh, online. All of our connect groups, small groups that meet throughout the week, we'll continue to meet online. So the only thing we have here in this building is Sunday morning services at 8 and 10, which are the exact same service with the uh, difference that 10 a.m. has our children's ministry and nursery available for you. And so we're delighted that you'd be here with us today as we kick off this brand new series entitled Better Together. If you missed any of the hope for the Psalms, you can always uh, go to our website, subscribe to our podcast, download the Hui Kala app, which has uh, all of the, the services uh, previously that we've gone through. And so that's also a great way to stay up on what's going on here at the church. Uh, in the app and also on our website, there's a button for plan of the week. That'll show you all the upcoming events that we have going for the, the week ahead. Uh, if we have anything online, you'll have a link where you can actually click and join those online as well. Again, thanks for being patient wearing masks today. We're just trying to follow the guidance that was given to us. If at any point during the service you need to pull down your mask and breathe, we do not have a, a mask police out today or anything like that. Nobody's going to whack you with a stick for trying to get some air. Uh, we're just trying to keep everybody as safe as we can. So thanks so much for being here today. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to be at this morning. We're going to start in verse number, let's start in verse number, hmm. I'm trying to look, this whole passage is so good. Let's start in verse number 13. Actually, verse number 12. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 12, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. If you pause for just a second, the Bible tells us here that those that are without God are without hope. And I'm telling you, it's a terrible place to be when we have no hope. Uh, For us as Christians, during these last 10 weeks or so, where we've drawn our strength from is our hope that we have. And the word hope means a confident expectation in God based on his character and the promises of his word. We have hope because we have God. The Bible says in this very plain terms, if you don't have God, you don't have hope. Verse number 13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off made nigh, by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, that both made one, hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. That he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you that were far off and to them that were nigh. For through him we have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, 
whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye are also builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. As we take a look at this passage of Scripture and really through this series, we're going to be taking a look at the local church. And generally the word that's used for the word church in the New Testament in the, the Greek language is the word ekklesia. The word ekklesia means a called out assembly. It's a group of people who used to belong to one group, but they've been taken out of that group and placed into a group of their own. That's what the word church means. Uh, so as we dissect this passage of Scripture this morning, we'll see that the church has very little to do with a physical location, very little to do with a building, has everything to do with the people. And so this called out assembly of people, the church, is made up of those who have been saved by Jesus Christ and have been baptized and they have been adopted into God's family. And so the title of today's message, We Are Family. And every family has its own quirks and weirdness. I don't know about your, your family, but my family's weird. Uh, you go further out in my family tree, uh, there's some strange cats in our family tree for sure. You just take a look under our own roof, though. Uh, we've got some strange people in our family as well. Uh, and so my uh, daughter, Makili, who's 11 years old, has something that she likes to watch on YouTube. One of her favorite things to watch on YouTube, get this, are you ready for it? Forklift fails. Forklift fails. If you can imagine what that's like, people are picking stuff up with forklifts and it falls over or the forklift falls over. They sit something on the top shelf and all the shelves fall and stuff like that. And little did I know before McKeeley, there are forklift fail compilations where you can watch like 30, 45 minutes, an hour long of forklift fails. Didn't know that existed, uh, but now I know it exists. My wife has turned our children on to, uh, and again, these are things that we do when we're in quarantine, satisfying videos. Uh, where they'll do things like they'll make saltwater taffy and you just watch it go over and over. It's just like, ooh, look at that. And then they'll begin to like cut it evenly into slices. And it's just like, oh, and it's just like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. One step further weird, cutting of kinetic sand. There's like a person with a whole YouTube channel of kinetic sand. If you don't know what kinetic sand is, it's that sand that you put into a, a, a form and it stays there and then you can smash it and put it into something else. But this person cuts kinetic sand with a chef's knife into like even sections. And here's the weirder thing. The, the knife has a microphone attached to it so you can hear it cutting the sand as it goes across. Has anybody ever seen this before? Two people are as weird as my family, right? Three. Um, it's just weird. Like, and, and it's like, oh, uh, what do you guys want to watch tonight? I go, I don't know, maybe there's like a good documentary on or something like that. And they're like, no, let's watch more kinetic sand. And it's just like, you've got to be kidding me. Just weird. The funny thing is, is the family of God has weird people in it too. Uh, just like you look at it and you're like, why is that a thing for you? I don't get that. That's just strange. There's even people in the family of God that give the family a bad name, believe it or not, that actually cause people people that are real Bible-believing Christians just step back and go, ah, that's not really biblical Christianity there. But that doesn't allow us to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We're part of a family that's something special. It's something unique, and it's something that God has created for us to be a part of. We're talking about the family of God. We're talking about the local church. Now, sometimes people will talk about, uh, this is a really brief overview, They'll speak of the universal church, and when they say that, they mean all believers worldwide that have been saved. 
And so when we say that Jesus Christ died for the church, we're not talking about he died for who we call a Baptist church in particular and just this people. We're talking about believers worldwide. And so we could say in that term, we could use the term maybe universal church if we wanted to, uh, to say that the, the family of God worldwide Jesus died for. The problem is, is sometimes people say, well, I don't really go to a church building. I'm part of the universal church. And the problem with that is, is the universal church doesn't gather for fellowship. They're not united in their mission. Uh, they don't necessarily have any leadership or guidance or anything. There's, being a member of the universal church and uh, calling that your church basically means you don't want to be a part of a, a local gathering. But the Bible tells us that God's gift to us that he's given is a local body of believers where we can grow, be encouraged, be strengthened in our faith together. And if you're a child of God, there's been a time in your life where you've been saved, you are a part of this family. And today we'll take a look at what being a part of that family looks like for us. If you're taking notes this morning, I highly recommend that you jot down a few thoughts as we uh, look at this passage of Scripture this morning. First and foremost, none of us were automatically born into God's family. We're actually born as orphaned children. No one is born into the family of God automatically. Sometimes people will say, well, my whole family goes to church and I've gone to church ever since I can remember. That's fine. You were never born into the family of God. The Bible says that we were born as orphans. We had no father. We were born, uh, we were enemies of God. But lest we think that God is a terrible person for leaving us as orphans, it's important to understand that while we're born as orphans into God's family, God did not leave us, we left him. God didn't leave us, we chose to go our own way. Uh, we were the, the smart aleck kid who thinks that he knows better than everything and packs up his own stuff and leaves in the middle of the night because uh, he doesn't want to be a part of that structure anymore. And you say, I don't really remember a time where I did that. The Bible says that you were automatically born into that mentality, that lifestyle. Because the Bible says that because of Adam's sin, all of us have sinned against God. All of us have been rebellious. All of us have gone our own way and done our own thing. And so God didn't leave us. We actually chose to leave God instead. Romans chapter one, verse number 28 says, and they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, so God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which were not convenient. You and I thought we were smarter than God. We thought we didn't need anybody to tell us what's going on or need anybody to tell us that we're wrong or we need to come back to a right path. We went our own way. We did our own thing. And it says this, God gave them up to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, uh, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventor of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they commit such things are worthy of death. We didn't just rebel a little bit. We went like the whole way. You and I, our sin problem that we have is not just those things that we did when we were in college that we're not proud of or that one time when you were a kid that you did something that you weren't supposed to. Our sin problem is the great plague for not only our situation but for mankind as well. I don't know about you, but I have been grieved by what I see taking place in our country this week, completely and totally grieved. And this is not a political statement by any means, but it is a biblical statement. The problems that we see taking place in our nation are a result of sin, 100%. I hate racism with every fiber of my being. And any person who calls themselves a Christian but is a racist, you do not know the spirit of Christ, period, end of story. There's no room for racism, racist jokes in the life of a Christian, period, end of story. Those who would 
hurt their fellow man have not the spirit of Christ. And so it grieves me to see this take, taking place. It, see, it grieves me to see an entire group of people vilified by the action of one or by the action of many. Look, our problem is a sin problem. And our problem that we need to work through is a sin problem. And the answer is Jesus Christ. What will heal our nation? The understanding that Jesus Christ died for sinners, the gospel. The gospel fixes everything. And so I am deeply grieved by what's taking place in our country. But it's a result of our sin nature. We decided to go our own way. We decided that we know what's best. We decide that we know how to handle things and nobody can tell us how to fix it. And we've abandoned God and God has left us to our own devices is what the Bible says. And that's not just for this situation that's taking place in our nation. This week it's what's taking place in our nation as a whole. It's what's taking place over all of world history. We've turned our back on God. We've forgotten him. And God says, okay. And he's left us as orphaned children. But the good news is, is that Jesus has brought us reconciliation with God. I love what verse number 16 says, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. You see, if two sides are enemies and there's going to be reconciliation, somebody has to make peace. If one person owes someone a debt, which we owe God a debt, Somebody has to make payment on that debt. And Jesus did that for us. Verse number 16 says that he reconciled us by his body and his death on the cross. That's why for us as Christians, uh, the Easter season is so special for us because we celebrate not only the death of Christ on the cross, but his burial and his resurrection as well. It's a beautiful picture of the way that God made peace for us to be able to come to God when we couldn't come to him before. You see, Jesus needed to bring reconciliation because we were far off from God. Take a look at our passage this morning. Uh, you see verse number 13, it says, by now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh or made, brought close by the blood of Christ. Verse number 17, we came preached peace to you which were afar off. You see, we didn't fall a little bit short of God's glory. You and I didn't just come up a little bit short on the, the standard that God had set. We were way far off. You and I weren't in the right neighborhood of where God and his righteousness were. The Bible says we weren't even in the same zip code, weren't even in the same state, not even remotely close. We weren't in the ballpark. We weren't even playing the same sport. Afar off from God and his righteousness. Somebody had to bring us close. And unfortunately, false religion today says, hey, you can be brought close by being a better person, by doing good works, Maybe you could get baptized and maybe that would bring you closer. Maybe you could join a church or be really faithful to this church and that would bring you closer. Maybe you could do these religious acts and that would bring you closer. But the Bible says that all of our works are as righteousness, or as all of our righteousness and all of our works are as filthy rags in the sight of God. Believe it or not, your good works that you do to try to come close to God only repel God from you because God hates your own self-righteousness. And we were so far off from God. The Bible goes on to say that we were even enemies of God. Romans chapter five, verse number 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You see, enemies don't just decide to be friends again. There has to be some sort of reconciliation. We're uh, fortunate to be able to live in a place of such rich world history Take a look at the end of World War II and we see at the Arizona Memorial, we have the uh, 
the uh, place where the war started, and we have the USS Missouri where they signed the uh, peace treaty and where the war ended all in the same place. You never had the opportunity to tour those. you got to check them out. It's, it's world history, fascinating stuff. But peace was brought there, and we came to an understanding with those that opposed us. Anytime we're going to have to have peace, we have to come to an understanding. And unfortunately, we don't get to set the terms of surrender. God sets them for us. God says there's a price required for peace. There's a price required for your sin. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. Romans chapter 5, verse number 12, whereas by one man's sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. A price was required. Somebody has to pay. And God says, here's the price, death. You're going to die for your sin. It's the only way you can pay for it. And you may look at this and you say, well, that's not a big deal. Everybody dies. Everybody's going to die one day. That's the price of our sin. Yes, it is. But the death that it speaks of here is not simply a physical death. It's actually a spiritual death. And so it's not a matter of we'll die physically one day. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. That all of us will stand before God one day and give an account of our life and God will judge us either guilty or forgiven. And that judgment won't be based on how good we lived our life or what good things we did. It's gonna be based on what did you do with my son? Revelation chapter 20 and verse 20 uh, and chapter 21 are some of the most frightening verses in all of the Bible. And I say this this morning to be scary. I say it to tell you the truth. Revelation 21, verse number eight says, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and liars shall have their part, get this, in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. Because of my sin, because of your sin, we've earned ourselves not only a physical death, but the second death. What is that second death? The lake of fire, we call it hell for all of eternity. Who's going to be there? It starts off and it says, the fearful and unbelieving. Friend, if there's never been a time in your life where you put your faith in Jesus to save you from your sins, you are that fearful and unbelieving and you will stand before God and be cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. It's the worst thing in the world. That's how you can make things right with God, by dying and going to hell but God loves you so much that he doesn't want that to be the case. And so Jesus has paid the price for your sin in advance. Jesus has paid that price that was required. God says, somebody's gotta die for your sin. Jesus says, I'll die. Jesus says, Some, God says, somebody has to be punished for that sin. Jesus says, I'm willing to be punished. God says, I'm gonna pour out my wrath as a result of payment for sin. Jesus says, I'll take your wrath as payment for their sin. Romans chapter five, verse number 12 says, I'm sorry, uh, Ephesians chapter two, verse number 16 in our passage we saw this morning, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Jesus was willing to go to the cross to pay for our sin, to bring that reconciliation. Romans chapter five, verse number six, I love this, for when, you were with it, when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. I love the fact that Jesus came and he died for the ungodly. You see, if you think you're a good person and you can make it to heaven on your own, Christ didn't die for you because you got it all covered. If you consider your religion to be the way that you're gonna make it to heaven or your good works, Jesus didn't die for those types of people. The Bible said that Jesus died for the ungodly. And those of us that know who we are, 
in the deepest recesses of our soul, realize that there's nothing really good about us. The deep down inside tries we might, we're still deeply flawed individuals that are stuck in a sin cycle that we can't break on our own. And we need help. Good news is Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5 goes on and says, For scarcely a righteous man one will die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. I can probably count on both hands the number of people in my life that I'd be willing to die for. Like die, give my life in exchange for theirs. And I would consider them to be good people. And that's what Romans 5 says. For most people, a good man would be willing to give their life. For most people, they have a list of people who would be worthy of the sacrifice of their life. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Jesus died for sinners. We look and we say, well, I'd give my life for good people, family, people that have been a lot to me, people that have sacrificed for me. I'd be willing to put my life on the line for them. Jesus died for child molesters, child pornographers, adulterers, murderers, liars, haters of God. Jesus died for sinners. You look, you go, well, I don't think I'd put myself in that category. Here's what the Bible says. Any man offends in one point of the law, he's guilty of it all. You're just as guilty as they are. Our sin gives us the exact same standing before a holy God. And so we're lumped into that category that we need somebody to pay that price for us. We need a Savior. And Jesus Christ is that Savior. And for every single person in this room today, every single person on planet Earth today, when we die, we will stand before God. And the only way that you're getting to heaven is to have your sins forgiven. The only way to have your sins forgiven is to be saved or born again. Jesus says in John chapter three, verse number three, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse number six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you think you found a detour to heaven, Jesus says you're wrong. You think that all roads lead to the same place, Jesus says that you're wrong. You think that you can just be a good person and make it on your own, Jesus says that you're wrong and you need to put your faith in him. Friend, you must come to a point of faith and repentance. I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I believe that he died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe that I cannot make it to heaven on my own and I'm willing to ask God to forgive me of my sin and I'm gonna leave it behind. Doesn't mean you're gonna be a perfect person for the rest of your life. Just means you're willing to live forgiven and to seek God. And friend, if you would be saved today, you can know for sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. It changes everything for you. And the moment that you get saved, the moment that you get saved, God unlocks an entirely new world to you like you've never seen before. The Bible says that when you're saved, the Holy Spirit, God himself comes to live inside of you to help you discern right from wrong, to be with you, to comfort you, to help you, to give you peace during difficult times, to point you back to God's word. The moment that you're saved, all your sin is forgiven as if it never happened. God takes it and casts it as far as the east is from the west, and the Bible says he remembers it no more. The moment that you're saved, God takes out the book of life, and he opens it up, and he writes your name down in the book of life so that when you get to heaven, he opens up the book and says, my son, my daughter, welcome home. Glad that you're here. One of the greatest benefits that God gives us. Do we get a ticket to heaven? Absolutely, that's a great benefit. But you know what God does? God adopts us into his family. 
And we're not just his slave laborers to get the work done. No, no, no. He's our father and we're his children. All those who trust him in Jesus are placed into the family of God. Oh, you were an orphan. You had no father, but God has adopted you. And the good news about God's family is that we're all adopted kids, every single one of us. No one was born automatically into God's family. The Bible says that God only has one natural son. That's why John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave, not just his son, his only begotten son. Jesus is the only natural child that God has. The rest are all adopted orphans that he's taken in. Isn't that a beautiful picture of family? The God, the richest person to ever live, has opened up his family, his home, to orphaned children, which is all those that would put their faith in Jesus can be adopted into God's family. Well, who can be saved? Anyone who puts their faith in Jesus. Or are there any restrictions on that? Only that you would believe in Jesus and repent of your sin. That's it. If anybody ever says, well, God can never save somebody like me, God so loved the world that whosoever believed in him, anyone can be saved. But the Bible says we're adopted into God's family. The beauty of being adopted into God's family is that this unites us with believers worldwide. We're part of a worldwide family that God has. I love it when people are on vacation, they come and visit Huikala, and they leave and they go, your church was so friendly, I felt so at home. You know why they felt at home? Because they were with family. That the same God that they sing praises to in Oregon or, or Maine or Tennessee is the same God that we praise here. I had the opportunity to travel to Malaysia last spring and I went immediately felt at home there. Why? Uh, because it was a group of brothers and sisters, part of my family that I'd never met before. I had the opportunity to preach in a Filipino service there. I preached in a, um, an English service. I preached in a Chinese service. Um, and they're singing songs that I have no idea what they're singing, but they're beautiful. Music to my ears. Why? Because it was family. And I know who they were praising. And I had a good idea what they were saying. This unites us together with believers worldwide. It makes us a part of a family where we had no family before. Angela and I had the opportunity to travel to uh, London last summer for our uh, um, anniversary trip. It was amazing. We went to London on our honeymoon, and then we went back uh, last year. It was incredible. And on that Sunday, we went to a church, and we uh, gathered together with other believers, and we felt connected to people and part of a family. It felt familiar even though we were in a, a foreign country where we didn't know a soul, for that moment we felt like we were at home. That's the idea of being a part of God's family that unites us with believers worldwide. Several years ago, I traveled to El Salvador and gathered together with people singing praises to God in Spanish. I knew the tune, but I didn't really catch all the words, but I knew what they were saying. I knew who they were singing it to, and it brought some level of comfort in me because I felt like I was at home. I didn't feel like a stranger in a strange land. I felt like part of a family. That's why uh, this passage tells us we were once, verse 19, strangers and foreigners. We're not that anymore. We're fellow citizens together with saints. But not only does it unite us with believers worldwide, it unites us with believers throughout world history. 
Every Christian who's called on the name of the Lord throughout all of world history is part of our family. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. I think of the Apostle Paul. We would say he was a giant of the faith. The things that he endured for the cause of Christ, the, the way that he penned so many spirit-filled letters to the New Testament that we call Scripture. Paul was our brother if you're a child of God. To think of Peter, Peter was just another Christian. He was our brother in Jesus Christ. Think back of the Old Testament, heroes of the faith. People you think like these guys were like giants. Moses. The same God that Moses talked to is the same God that you and I talk to. It unites us together, this family that we're a part of, with guys like Moses. Moses is in our family tree. Think about it that way. The guy who stood at the Red Sea and all he had was a stick that God had given him. He smacked the water and the water parted in the Israelites, probably a million or so of them walked across on dry land and then the waters came back down and drowned their enemies. You know who did that? That was my brother Moses did that. Isn't that strange to think of? My brother Moses. But being a part of God's family unites us together with believers throughout all of world history. Take a look uh, in Acts chapter 7. God was speaking to Moses. So when Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight. He drew near to behold it. And the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I'm the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So God even says to Moses, Moses, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you and I can say that we cry out to our father, who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Paul, Peter, James, John, the father of Jesus Christ, that's my dad. That's my father. I'm a part of this family. And so this is a unique position that God's given us to be able to call him our father, to place us in this family together. And as we look at this passage this morning, it's important to understand that when we talk about the church, the church is not a place. The church is a people. 11 weeks ago, when we had our very first ever online service. The church did not close. The church was just meeting differently. Because the church itself is not a building, it's a people. The church building was closed for sure. Front door was locked, the lights were off, couldn't get in if you wanted to. The building was locked, but the church was still open. You know why? Because you can't stop the people. You'll be able to stop a building, but you can't stop a people. That's why I kind of, at first it was puzzling to me. After that, it was frustrating to me to drive around the island on essential business, I'll, I'll mind you, to drive around the island and see churches with signs on the front that says, church closed, God bless. <laughs> I look at that at first and laugh like, that's funny. And then I thought, wait a minute, that's not funny because these people think the church is a building and a service time. And if the church is just a building in a service time, we can close it and we can reopen whenever we feel like it because it's just a building in a service time. But if the church is God's people who are taken out of something, the world, and placed into something, the church, the body of Christ, you can't close that because it doesn't have doors. The church continues on. This family that we're a part of, you can't stop it, even if you wanted to. Church is closed every day, but you cannot stop the church. 
that continues to go forward. And this family that we're a part of, it's not a building, it's a people. You might have been guilty of this, I am too, to say, hey, I'll meet you at the church at such and so time. Oh, I think I left my glasses at church. I get what you mean, but it's important to understand that it is a church building, it is not the church. Because when we dismiss here in a little bit, the church is going out to infiltrate the community. That's what the church is doing. We're not turning the lights off at the church and locking the front door. The church is dismissed and the building will be closed. Does that make sense? So many times we get hung up on the church is the place. And if we think that that's the case, then church is just a place that we go to on Sunday mornings. When we're done, we check it off our to-do list for the week and then we may or may not come back next week. No, no, no. The church is a family. It's a body that we belong to. These are our people. And if the church is a family and God is our father, well, who runs the church? Jesus is the head of the church. Always, 100% of the time. Let me pause here for just a second and tell you that the pastor is not the head of the church. And if you find yourself in a church where the head of the church is a person, you are not in a church, you are in a cult or some other organization, period. Because the Bible says Jesus is the head of the church. And if Jesus isn't the head of the church, you're not in a church. Really critical. And sometimes I've seen churches that are unhealthy where they deify the pastor and lift him up and hold him in a special uh, place of, of reverence. And the Bible says it's a place of respect. But don't place a pastor on the same level as Jesus, for heaven's sakes. It'd be one of the worst things in the world you could do. And so... It's important to understand Jesus is the head of the church, Colossians 1.8, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. In the church, it's all about Jesus. All about Jesus. That's why you and I don't get to determine the mission of the church. You know why? It's not our church. It's Jesus's. He already determined what the mission was. We call it the Great Commission. Go, win, baptize, teach, tell people about Jesus, to evangelize the lost, to grow Christians in their faith, to make committed followers of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. We got to do that. You have these folks over here who call themselves church. Well, the mission God's given us is to, to, you know, help the homeless. That can be a secondary mission. That can't be the mission because we don't get to set the mission. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the boss. Well, who is authorized to hold the office of a pastor? Well, I think times are changing today and we see different gender roles with this and that. Hey, hey, we don't get to call those, make those calls. Jesus made those calls because it's his church. Well, I think those rules are a little bit outdated. It doesn't matter what you think because you're not the head of the church. I'm not the head of the church. It matters what Jesus thinks because he's the head of the church and he told us what he wants in his word. Well, I think it's weird that the church has to get together. Jesus says we have to gather together. It's his church. He makes the rules. That's why when they said, you can meet back together, we said, yes, we're going to be there. But you have to sit six feet apart. You got to wear a mask. Fine. I'll wear a hazmat suit if I have to. I don't care. I want to be back with God's people because first of all, it's required of me to be obedient. Secondly, I need other Christians in my life. Then I've missed this. You know how hard it is to preach to a camera in an empty room? It's terrible. You know how awkward it is to sing the doxology by yourself on the internet every week? 
It's terrible. Absolutely terrible. And some of you say, I know it was terrible, Pastor. I heard it. Man, what I got to do to get back in, we're going to do it. We would have done it last Sunday if we could have, uh, but we didn't want to just shoehorn it together in less than 48 hours. We wanted it thought out, methodical, and to keep everybody safe and have a good plan in place for everybody. So we waited until today, but I couldn't wait. Man, last night I couldn't sleep. I was so fired up about today. I was so excited to be with God's people today. Man, you know why? Because this is a gift that God's given me as being a part of his family. 1 Corinthians 3.11, for no foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So if Jesus is the head of the church, we take a look at verse number um, 19. Now, therefore, you're no more strangers and foreigners. We're no longer a bunch of disconnected people, but we're fellow citizens with the saints, and we're of the household, the family of God. And we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You see, when builders would build a building, they would put that cornerstone, and that determined where everything else went. All their lines were drawn off of where that cornerstone was set. You and my son Thatcher put together the walls in our apartment, and we didn't know what we were doing. It was just a big, huge, unfinished attic, and I, I skimmed a few YouTube videos, and I thought, I can do this whole framing and drywall thing. How hard can it really be? And so we did. We put our two-by-fours out. We measured them. We screwed them in, stuff like that. We leaned our first frame up and got it stuck in place and everything. It wasn't going anywhere. I thought, man, this is easy stuff. We put another frame up and put that up there and put the two of them together. I thought, man, this is easy breezy. Stood back and looked at it. One of the walls is leaning like this a little bit. And the other one the wasn't quite 90 degrees. It's probably more like an 80-degree corner there. And I'm looking at it, and man, something's not right. Maybe I'll just hammer it into place and stuff like that. And we didn't have a clue as to what we were doing. And Thatcher's standing over there, and he's like, you think we should use a square on that corner? What do you mean? You know those triangle things? It's just like, ooh, that's a good idea, man. And I said, maybe if this wall... Maybe we should get like a level and put on that wall, make that wall straight. He's like, yeah, that's a good idea. And here we are, a couple of idiots not knowing what we're doing, right? And again, I tell you, I skimmed some YouTube videos to find out what was going on. I didn't even watch the YouTube videos. And sure enough, we got that one corner right, and everything else kind of fell into place. We got that one wall level, and everything kind of fell into place after that. The Bible says that Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the boss. He's the head of the church. Everything is built off of him. You get that cornerstone wrong, everything falls apart. If the foundation is you and I, everything falls apart. If our foundation is subjective wisdom, what we think is right, what we think we should do, then it all falls apart. But if the foundation is Jesus Christ, and the Bible tells us, and the apostles, verse number 20, and built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So we got Jesus and those original people that he personally trained himself, that's the foundation. Then we build on that together, you and I. So we're the building blocks of his church. So Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the foundation. And you and I are the building blocks of that. So how strong will our house be? How strong will our family be? As strong as the building materials we use for it. Think about that for a second. How strong will we be? As strong as our building materials. What building materials do we have? You and I, we're it. 
We were driving past down the uh, Alawai the other night on essential business, uh, and I uh, looked over. I don't know if you guys have seen in the uh, Alawai they have a floating like it's like a crane excavator out there in the middle of the Alawai on like a barge. And we were going past that, and, and Vanderlei said to me, "He said, Dad, I'm like shocked how you can put like a huge excavator out in the middle of the water and it just floats there, and like there's people working on it. They're not like afraid of like falling in." I go, "I know." I go, "It's fascinating to me, just like." engineering of that but I thought to myself how much thought has to go into all of those parts and pieces and making sure that the weight's distributed appropriately you can't just put an excavator on one end of this this floating raft and like five guys on the other side you got to figure that out right and I thought how does that relate to the church well, we got to have a solid foundation if our foundation shaky everything falls apart that's why you see churches imploding left and right because their foundation was shaky to begin with but then what we build with has to be solid too. And here at Hui Kala, we place a high, high importance on discipleship, teaching people to be committed followers of Jesus Christ because those are the building blocks of our church. You got weak Christians making up the family of God. The first time difficulty comes, everybody scatters. That's why I was so encouraged by our church when I said, we're not gonna be able to meet, we're gonna go online. Man, we had people coming out left and right online for connect groups, meetings with ladies. Angela and I hosted a meeting sometimes on Thursday nights. Saw people continue to give. Why? Because they realized it wasn't a part of, about being a part of a building. It was being a part of a people. And so when we talk about the house of God, the house of God is no longer a building but his church. You see, in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel traveled for 40 years in the wilderness, they had a tent that they would set up called the tabernacle. And in this tent, the Spirit of God would come down and dwell with his people inside this tent. And when the Spirit of God would go back up, they'd pack the tent up and they'd move on to the next place and they'd set it all up, up and they'd do it all over again. And that became God's dwelling place, the tabernacle. When they moved into the promised land, they set up shop in Jerusalem. David, the first good king of Israel, said to God, God, you deserve a lot better than a tent, and I'm going to build you a house, like a real house. And God says, David, you can't. You shed too much blood. I'll let you prepare it, but your son Solomon's going to build it. And so David didn't get to build the temple, didn't get to build God's house, but Solomon did. And man, what a house it was. Solomon said, if God's going to get a house, it's going to be nice, and it was like nothing you've ever seen before. And they built God a house, and God's spirit dwelled with his people in the house, the temple, they would make sacrifices. They'd go to the temple to make those sacrifices. But now the house of God is no longer the temple. It's no longer the tabernacle. The house of God, the Bible tells us, is this. It's us. We are the house of God. We are God's building. So God's spirit no longer dwells in a tabernacle or a temple, but in every single believer. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, we are laborers together with God. You're God's husbandry. You are God's building. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 says, Know you not that you are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If you man defile the temple of God, God shall him destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. When I was a kid, I grew up in church, and my parents would never let me run in church. I always had to go outside and run, because you couldn't run in God's house. Okay, fine can't run in God's house. Can't chew gum in God's house. Okay, it's God's house. We won't chew gum in there, right? And so all kinds of rules about God's house. 
And as a kid, I'm thinking to myself, I didn't put two and two together like God's house. I'm thinking to myself, where does God live? Well, he lives up there. Like in the attic? Like, I'm thinking to myself, like, God lives in the attic. Because I knew there was a crawl space up there. I thought that God lived in the attic. We had to be really quiet because it was God's house. You don't want to make, make him mad. Couldn't run in God's house. But then I get a little bit older and I realize that building wasn't God's house. This building here is not God's house. How embarrassing would this be if this was God's house, right? God, the richest person in the world, his house is made out of concrete blocks painted gray. How sad would that be if this was God's house? No, no, no. God does desire something a little bit more flashy. And you know what it is? It's us. We are God's house. We are God's building. We are the house of God. And so sometimes people, their kids are running around being crazy and they're in the super church room and they say, don't run in God's house, don't run in. I get what you're trying to say. If you don't want your kids to run, tell them not to run. But don't tell them that that's God's house over there. Just not. It used to be a fantastic Sam's, believe it or not, right? Come on. If this were God's house, we are sitting in what used to be a Korean massage parlor that stayed open until 2 a.m. Think about that for a minute. Because everybody needs a good, like, foot rub at 2 a.m., right? Come on. It was shady back here, right? This is not God's house. God's house is right here. If you're, and personal preference thing, if your kids want to run over there and let some energy out, I'm okay with that. When I was a kid, we used to have like a playground for as kids. We used to be able to run the parking lot and play tag. We used to be able to run down by the creek and climb trees and stuff like that. We can't do that here. Your kids run outside, they'll get hit by a car. Don't do that. You know, those kids run in there. I'm okay with it. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, that's just my personal preference. But don't tell them that's God's house. Now, we can say the chairs you're sitting in are God's chairs. Take really good care of them, right? We don't want to leave garbage laying around because this is a place that God's given us. We want to steward it well. But it's not God's house. It's just a warehouse where God's house meets. We're God's house. We're God's building. We are the temple of God. So for us, we don't, you know, rent out this space to, for people to have parties or anything like that. You know why? Because this is a, a special place where God's people meet. But the real holiness that we need is in God's building here. Again, if you take a look at uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know you not that you're the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in, within you. Here's what he says. Listen to this. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. You mess with God's temple, he's gonna be upset. Don't defile God's temple. You got that? And then here's what he says. You're the temple of God. Oh, wait a minute. So God's not been out of shape that you mistreat a building. God's been out of shape that you mistreat his temple, which is you. And so we're... God's building. We are God's house. Christians cannot choose whether or not they're part of the family of God. If you accept Jesus Christ as Savior, you're automatically adopted into God's family and you don't get to any choice in that. As if that's a bad thing. It's not. But here's the thing. Sometimes people say, well, I don't have to be a part of the church. I don't have to gather together every week with other Christians. I don't have to do that. And you're absolutely right. You don't have to, but you should want to. 
but you're, because you're part of the family. Think about it this way. I've heard some pe- sometimes people say things like, well, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Or I love the Lord, but I sure do hate church. I love Jesus, but I can't stand because it's full of hypocrites and phonies and fakes and all this other stuff. I can't. I hate church. I understand where that's coming from. First of all, it's coming from foolishness and immaturity, but secondly, it's a lot of times coming from a lot of hurt. And I get it. People have been hurt by church. I've been hurt by church before. But making a statement like, I love Jesus, but I hate the church, is like saying to me, Pastor, I love you, but I hate your wife, Angela. Can you imagine making a statement like that? If you're a guy, me and you're going to go outside on the sidewalk and we're going to have a very close man-to-man talk. And I'm not going to wear a mask and I'm not going to keep six feet because you're never going to say that again. If you're a woman who says that to me, I'm going to let my wife know and she can handle herself. She's a big girl. Uh, so, uh, but you don't make statements like that. You know why? Because it's a special relationship and you'd never do anything to disrespect that person. The Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. Jesus died for the church. And here you're going to mock, desecrate, denigrate that church. You can't do it. No, 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 no. So while you can't choose whether or not you're part of the the church, the family of God, you're automatically adopted, we can choose our own usefulness to Christ. I don't know what your family is like or was like, but we used to gather together every, uh, when I was a kid, every Thanksgiving, every Christmas with family. It's usually the only couple times a year that the whole family would get together every now and then for somebody's birthday, but usually just Thanksgiving at one person's house and then another person's house that next night and then... uh, Christmas, maybe Christmas Eve here, Christmas Day there, something like that. And when we would get together with family, you, know, you have those that have been there all day, they've been baking food all day, they brought lots of food. And then you have those who were just kind of uh, showed up for the meal and split. Every now and then you'd have that cousin that brought some weird guy that everybody's like, who is this guy? That's not the same guy that she brought to Thanksgiving. And like, who is this guy? He was really weird. But you know what you did? You were just cordial and you were nice and you let him eat and he wanted to split and your cousin did too. She just wanted to come in, eat, and split, show her face. She wasn't very useful because she didn't bring anything. She didn't hang around afterwards to clean up. She didn't really add any value to the gathering. She just showed up, got what she wanted, and split with a person who wasn't even really part of the family. You see where I'm going with this? Sometimes people treat the family of God that way. Not really useful. I want to come and get what I could get and then split. I might even bring somebody who tolerates sitting around with family for a minute, but I'm not really committed. Don't ask me to show up early. Don't ask me to, to stay late. No, no, no. I just want to do what I need to do and then bounce. But as we grow in our maturity and our love for Jesus, we want to be more useful to Jesus through his church. Man, just to pull off today's services took volunteers, probably 50 or so people. I mean, everything under the sun has been clean. I promise you that. Like This place has never been as clean as it was this morning, ever. Everything's been wiped down. My son Thatcher drafted, man, probably 10 pages of policies of a phased return to church plan. And then we followed that almost to a T. My wife spent hours typing up every single volunteer and what they're responsible for. And here's 10 things that you've got to do. I mean, hours and hours went into this. We have an online registration system and we got to sit you over to a ticketing website and fed our spreadsheets that we had and check-off sheets that we had. I mean, just 
hours just to get ready for services today. After we dismiss, there's going to be people that are hanging out for probably 15, 20 minutes, wiping down every single chair, every single surface, cleaning the bathrooms like nobody's business. You know why? Because that's what family does when family gets together. We take care of it. We pitch, it, we pitch in and make it happen. And if you're not doing any of that stuff today, I'm not saying you're a terrible person. I'm saying that your spirit should be like, hey, I want to do that. I want to be useful. I want to get plugged in. One of the most powerful things that ever happened in my life was I asked God, God, could you use somebody like me? Like, I'm nobody. I mean, I grew up in a terrible carnal church. I didn't know what it meant to walk with Jesus until I was in my mid-20s. I joined the military right out of high school. Wasn't walking with Jesus then. Angela and I got married. We didn't have any premarital counseling. We weren't, didn't even really have a pastor married us or give us any guidance. We were just kind of winging it. Could you use a public school kid from Kentucky that doesn't really know what he's doing? I'd be willing if you could. And then began a chain of reactions that changed the rest of my life just by saying, God, could you use somebody like me and making myself available and useful to Jesus? So while you can't choose whether or not you're part of the family of God, you can choose your allegiance to his church. One of the things that I've loved through this time is to see the church come together. There's a man who came and called me and said, Pastor, I've got uh, a few bags of groceries to drop off of the church. Can I bring those by? I said, sure. He comes by, the entire back of his car is full. And I said, which parts does this go? Do you want to separate it out? He goes, no, 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 all of it goes. There's probably close to 20 bags of groceries. We just kept unloading out of the back of his car. There's one of our single adults who was working at the Hawaii Food Bank and he had somebody call and said, hey, is there anybody at the church that could use a couple of bags of groceries? Sure. Brought his truck over and unloaded 17 bags of groceries that we distributed to families in our church. Unbelievable. We had people who wrote checks for $1,000 and said, hey, give this to somebody in our church that's struggling. But one of our single men who said, Pastor, I got a stimulus check, but I still have a job and I'm still working and I know there's people in our church that need it. Could I give this to the church and bless somebody else? Oh, man, I love it. Other people say, hey, Pastor, who's somebody I can encourage this week? Hey, who's somebody I can send a, a grocery gift card to? Hey, I bought these Walmart gift cards. Could you hand out those out for me? Man, that's what the church does. This is how family takes care of each other. This is why we have to be committed to the church. And again, I'm not talking to specifically our church. I'm talking about the church that Jesus started because it works. It's family. This is what we do. And so we can choose whether or not we're a part of that or not. You get to choose your own level of involvement in the family. You do. It's totally up to you. But I found that the more committed people are, the deeper they get connected, the quicker. There's a couple in our church that have been here for less than six months, and they know just about every single person in the church, and they have more friends than they know what to do with. And they said, it's so weird that we, to think we've only been here for six months. It feels like we've been here for years. What's the difference they were here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, always involved, always serving, always finding somebody to be a blessing to, always trying to grab coffee with somebody, trying to get connected. They chose their own involvement level. And they chose to jump in with both feet. There's other folks who've attended our church for years who come late, leave early, never talk to anybody, and they don't know anybody in our church. And it's tough to break into the family when you're not willing to commit to it. And so this is not an indictment on you if you don't find yourself committed to the church. It's a challenge to you to take a step up. 
This is your time to say, hey, I want to do more than just take up a seat on Sunday. I want to get plugged into the body. I want to grow. We don't get to choose our usefulness to Christ. Whether or not we're part of the family, we choose our usefulness to Christ, our allegiance to his church, and our commitment to one another. The Bible says we rejoice with them that rejoice and we weep with them that weep. If you had a good day, praise God. I want to praise God with you. Something good happened this week? Tell me all about it. I want to know about it. We get the opportunity to go to a promotion ceremony next week for one of our other men in our church. Excited about that. Had the opportunity a few weeks ago to go to a change of command ceremony for one of the men in our church. I loved it. And you know what was awesome at that change of command ceremony? We had a family photo with I don't know, 20 or so folks from Hui Kala there. The week prior to that, one of our men had an advancement ceremony. We had, I don't know, 10 or so folks from Hui Kala there for that. You know what it was? Just family. That's what we do. But at the same time, those that lost their jobs during this, you know what the church family did? They rallied around them. We rejoice with them that rejoice, and we weep with them that weep. We're, we're in this together. Good days, bad days, we, we got it together. That's what we do. We can also choose our faithfulness to the mission. If our mission is go, win, baptize, teach, we get to choose whether or not we're committed to that or not. Totally up to you. I choose to be committed because I know that's where the greatest fruitfulness is found. Final thoughts this morning, we're done. First of all, the church is important to God, so it has to be important to us. The Bible tells us at least three things that were really important to Jesus. At least three. There's a lot. Read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's a ton of things that Jesus thought were really important. But one of those is the local church. He gave himself for it. Jesus died so that you and I could be a part of a family. So for you and I to blow off our family because it's not that big of a deal for us or it's inconvenient or maybe I can just watch the video online later to blow that off is to make light of the sacrifice that Jesus made. The church was important to Jesus. He gave him his life for it. God's word was important to Jesus. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You and I should be lovers of God's word, lovers of truth, because Jesus loved the word. You know what else Jesus loved? Jesus loved people. For God so loved the world. That when Jesus saw people scattered as a sheep, having no shepherd. The Bible says he was moved with compassion. I'm telling you, as I flip channels and watch the terrible things that are taking place in our nation, my heart is overwhelmed with compassion for these people that are hurting. And you see people that are hurting and have no way to really communicate that instead of rage and rioting and violence and just breaks my heart because if you knew the God that I know, you would know that the Holy Spirit knows how to minister in situations like that. The Holy Spirit knows how to bring peace to situations like that. And the church knows how to walk through times like that. Somebody asked me, like, oh, Pastor, are you going to address this? I'm not addressing it at all. There's nothing to be said. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul. And love your neighbor the way that you love yourself. On this hangs all the law and the prophets. That's it. Jesus himself said the whole Bible is summed up by two commandments. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. 
That fixes all the problems that we're having. Are we going to address it? No, we're not. The Bible addresses it. That's it. Again, I'll say, any Christian, the shred of racism in their heart, shame on you, repent of it, make yourself right with God. Because it's not the spirit of Christ. But God's given us a family to walk through times like this with. Next, the church was purchased with the life of Jesus that's worthy of the investment of ours. Jesus isn't asking us to die for the church. He already did that. He's asking us to live for the church. Think about that for a second. Jesus isn't asking you to die for the church. He already did that. He's asking you to live for the church. And when we're talking about the church, we're not talking about this physical location. We're talking about these people that are in this family that God has made you a part of. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about being committed to the church. There's people around you today that you don't know. There's people in your family that you don't know. Your brothers and sisters that are walking through dark times this week and you don't even know. That's what it means about being committed to the church, being invested in the church. This is my life. This is everything. Finally, the church is not a place we go on occasion. It's a people that we must be every day. In just a moment, the church will be dismissed. Not just the church service, We won't just be dismissed from a location. We're dismissed to go out and change the world. That's what we do. We have the message that changes the world. And let me just tell you, arguing on social media, posting, reposting other people's photos and graphics on social media, that doesn't change anything. Look, you can change your profile photo if you want to and be cute for a couple of days. That doesn't change anything. Being committed and involved in people's lives changes something. That's more than just putting a cute photo on the internet. And I'm talking about getting invested in people's lives. I'm talking about taking the truth of God's word and investing it in someone else. Starting with the people that are in your own home and branching out from there. I'm talking about being a change in the world. And the church isn't just a place we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock and then we go home until next week. No, the church is a people that we are every single day. The church will go out tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. and get work done. That's what we do. You might do it at your workplace. You might do it in your neighborhood. You might do it in your community. You might do it for your neighborhood. The church is out getting stuff done. And I've been so encouraged over these last 10 weeks to see the church still getting it done not meeting together under one roof, not here for services together, but we're still getting it done. What are we called to do? Love, pray, give, serve, invest. There's not a time limit on that. There's not a geographic limiter on that. That is how we live every single day. It's the core values of who we call a Baptist church, love, pray, give, serve, invest. It really embodies the spirit of Christ. It's exactly what he did and how he lived. And it's a commitment that we have to our family. <clears throat> so as we walk through this time, and please understand, by holding church services, this doesn't mean that we're out of the woods yet. <clears throat> I'm just clearing my throat. That wasn't a cough. <laughs> Making sure you know. We're not out of, just because we had church services today doesn't mean that we're out of the woods yet. Uh, we could totally roll this back and not be able to, to meet two weeks from now. I don't know. But here's the thing. You can't stop the church. 
And let me just tell you this. We stopped having church services because we wanted to be wise, because we didn't want to further spread the sickness. We never stopped meeting because the government mandated that we couldn't. We stopped meeting because we wanted to be good neighbors, because we didn't want to spread, didn't want to get our community sicker. Please understand, we never stopped meeting because the government said we couldn't. Truthfully, July 14th, we'd already decided to pull the trigger on having services whether they said we could or not. We're just going to do it. If we got in trouble, we got in trouble. Thankfully, they said we could meet sooner. We're thankful for that. We answered a prayer. But if the government came out tomorrow and says, well, you got to stop meeting, no, we won't because we're mandated to gather. And here's the thing. You can't stop a family from getting together. You just can't. So we'll continue to be the church that Jesus started. We'll continue to be family. And please know this. This is your first time in Huicala. Huicala is a really easy church family to break into. Really easy. I've been in churches before where it's like, well, that family over there, they've been here for 40 years. That family over there, they kind of run everything. That that guy over there, he's the biggest giver in the church. They kind of run everything. This is the easiest family in the world to break into. There's a a guy who was on sabbatical uh, in the church across town. He came here on a Sunday while he was on sabbatical. And he said, uh, Pastor, I just want to tell you, this is the friendliest church I've ever been in my life. It's more friendly than my own church. I said, we've got a lot of great people. I said, I really believe that. And he goes, no, like, he said, from the sidewalk to my seat, he said, I had to start counting because I wanted to know. He goes, there were 17 people that talked to me before I ever made it to my seat. 17. And I go, that's awesome. And he goes, what are you doing? And I said, we're just family. That's all. Family. He goes, no, 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 I get it. But like, what are you doing? Like, how do you, how do you make that happen? Just God's people loving their brothers and sisters. I, I don't know what else to say, man. That's special. And I continue to say, who we call is the best church since the book of Acts. And I don't say that because I'm the greatest pastor since the book of Acts. I say that this is the greatest people that I've ever known in my life, ever. So the finest Christians I know are part of this family. If I wasn't the pastor of this church, I'd be a member because what God's doing here is special. Let's not take it for granted. I'm excited today. We'll have the opportunity to go over and uh, to Almona Beach Park and baptize. We had uh, one slated for baptism today. Even though we weren't planning on having services, we're still going to have, have uh, baptism over there anyways. But I'm excited to baptize today. You know why? Because that's what the church does. We go, win, baptize, teach. And that's by baptizing today, what, you know, what we're doing, we're really just fulfilling the Great Commission. Just doing what the church does. So are we supposed to baptize? I don't know. We'll find out later. But here's what I love. The family, the daughter that's getting baptized today, they're leaving in a couple weeks. They said, we really wanted to get baptized here with family. I got it. I'm with you. That's what it means to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Friend, if church is just someplace you go on Sunday mornings, reset your perspective. Because at some point, there's going to be something that's better for you to do at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning than this, and you're going to go there. Unless you reset your perspective that like, no, 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 I don't have to go to church. I need to be in church. I don't have to go there. They need me and I need them. I had a good Christian man tell me a few weeks ago, I don't want to have to go to any service where I'm wearing a glove, where I'm having to wear a mask. I'm sweating through my mask. I got to sanitize my hands when I come in. Everybody's looking like they're in the hospital. I don't, I don't want to go to any service like that. 
okay, don't. But for me, like I said, I'd wear a hazmat suit if I had to. You know, I would, I would high-five somebody through a piece of glass if I had to. I need God's people because this is my family. For us, our closest family members are 5,000 miles away. To get to my closest family member, I would have to take 18 hours worth of travel to get to my closest blood relative. But I am five minutes away from my closest brother, right here. We have people that we could call in the middle of the night to watch our kids if we needed to. I had people that would, I could call in the middle of the afternoon that would bring me a can of gas stuck on the side of the freeway. I have 101 people that I could call if I needed somebody to take me to a doctor's appointment. I got a dozen guys I could call if I needed prayer. You know why? Because I got family. Something special. Don't miss out on it. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, please be saved today. You say, I don't know anything about this family of God. Believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Repent of your sin. Join God's family today. You can be saved It's not a matter of joining our church or becoming a Baptist. It's a matter of knowing your sins are forgiven and knowing that God's your father and knowing that when this life is over, you have eternal life in Jesus. But for those of us that are saved, let's live like the church this week. You know what's in short supply these days? Hope. And you know who has more hope than they know what to do with the church? And so let's go out this week and make a difference with what God's given us. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.